Hello everyone and welcome to this latest edition of the Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine and joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News and Neil Trainis, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Helena Beer of Training Matters, straight from this week's Recognition of Excellence Awards, will be joining us later. We've got lots to talk about as always, so let's start with Good Week, Bad Week. Neil, let's start with you at the top of the order. Good week or bad week and for whom? It's been a good week uh, for the outgoing Chief Pharmaceutical Officer Keith Ridge and, dare I say it, the government, um, whose report, led by Ridge, laid bare the problems to patient health caused by overprescribing. Now, the report found that 10% of prescription items dispensed through primary care in England are inappropriately prescribed, unnecessary and and even harmful to patients. Uh, It found that 6.5% of all hospital admissions are caused by the adverse effects of medicines, rising to 20% of admissions among people aged 65 and over. Now, the report, um, I say it's timely, but uh, it's certainly a very important report because it deepens one thing it does is it deepens the the importance um of the role for instance for instance of independent prescribers um who better to sort of address this issue than independent prescribers in fact within pharmacy we all know how important that uh, you know that role is um nick Kay, the vice chair of the national pharmacy association uh for me you know hit the nail on the head when he said that community pharmacies can play an increasingly important role in ensuring effective prescribing for example, through structured medication reviews and as, as I've just said, independent prescribers. And he's absolutely right. Um, discharge medicines, uh, the Discharge Medicine Service and the Extended New Medicine Service, he says, can also help here. Um, now, we, we've been here before. Um, we've had reports on over-prescribing in the past, in previous years, and uh, nothing particularly came of that um, at that time. So the, the obvious question to ask here would be, what's going to be any different this time? Um, I remember, I, I seem to recall a, a Age UK, I think it was back in, I think, 2019, the summer 2019, called for a more considered approach to prescribing medicines for, you know, the older population, you know, nearly 2 million older people on more than seven prescription medicines at one time, and obviously at great risk of side effects, and and in, and in yeah, some cases, life-threatening uh, conditions. You know, it, it, this was two, you know, this is over two years ago. So... Yes. Okay. You know, this is this is it's a good report. It's an, it's an important report. But what you know, we've, this is not a new a new issue. This is something that's been going on for quite some time. And of course, just as, a, as an aside to this, um, it'd be quite interesting to know just how many pharmacists would be concerned about a drop in their dispensing income if less medicines are prescribed as a result of this. But I think we've got some way. To, it seems like we've got some way to go. Um, but what's changed? But it's been, nevertheless a, a good week for the government and Mr. Ridge for the, for the report. Anyway. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Interesting one, this, isn't it? This is a, um, it's a major report, um, definitely. It's been a big priority, hasn't it, for Keith Ridge during his time at, at NHSE and before that DH. Um, and it advocates a system-wide approach, doesn't it? But I think there was a lack of community pharmacy representation on the working group, wasn't there? And I think that's a, that's a concern. I mean, community pharmacists only see tens of millions of prescriptions every month, all of those daily patient contacts. So it seems a bit strange not to have um, included any community pharmacists. Rob, I feel you're itching to come in here. Um, What did you make of this? I'm itching to agree with Neil. 
Uh, and uh, for once, uh, no, not for once, we agree on many things, but I, I particularly agree with this. Uh, but Neil posed the question, what's going to be different this time? I think uh, I think you've basically answered that, I think, in a way, Richard. Um, for the first time, I think, in a long time, the one of these reports is, is effectively mainstream NHS. Um, so Chief Pharmaceutical Officers led it, was invited to do so back in 2018 by... Um, some guy who was the health secretary at the time, his name escapes me, Hancock, I think it was. Uh, so he was in, he invited the um, uh, Dr. Ridge to to conduct this review. Um, and uh, okay, it's taken a while and now it's out. Uh, the new health secretary has welcomed the review, uh, but because of where it's come from and because of who's led it, I think it, it generally makes this whole thing mainstream NHS England uh, work and therefore it may be taken more seriously and result in a, uh, a whole bunch of things happening as a result of it and also with lots of these things there's an issue of timing isn't there and I think the timing of this one in particular um, given that we now have a, a very changed workforce in terms of prescribing uh, advice and support and indeed as Neil's pointed out uh, a, a growing uh, independent prescriber workforce out there operating within primary care and in general practice slightly different to when earlier reports on the same subject might have hit um, then this way will be taken taken forward slightly. Um, I'm not particularly surprised um, by the lack of input uh, from community pharmacy. Uh, I think it might have benefited from it but I'm not sure we know whether any organisation uh, in community pharmacy volunteered to be part of this work and I'm afraid over the years national leaders of community pharmacy have shown very little interest in prioritising what have been increasing concerns. I mean I could go back to the York um, School of Pharmacy study, uh, how long ago was that? 15 years ago, raising issues about waste. Um, we've had de debates and uh, I mean the chief pharmacist the current chief pharmacist has, has been talking about adverse events from medicines and who should tackle those and improving patients use for the whole of his for the whole of his tenure and i think um that's a bit of a shame you know murs badly implemented never built on never celebrated no work on what good outcomes might look like and now no longer with us nms um badly implemented uh never particularly sold into the profession only a couple of years ago pharmacist running a very busy health centre based pharmacy told me he never delivered one and did not intend to do so in the future so we've still got some way to go to see some of these things as absolutely important like building blocks in the future of clinical service so um yeah I think and I think Nick Kay's response you know does hit the right sort of note and a, and a slightly different note to the history of the last couple of decades really where we've taken these we're very quick to say pharmacists are experts on medicines, but um, not quite prioritise some of these things as we might have done. Yeah, very good points there, Rob. Um, I suppose picking up on something that, that Neil touched on and you as well, Rob, these, I guess these are quite complex arguments to make when contractors are, are paid on a fee per item basis. And, and you know there are all sorts of contractual incentives in place in our volume and margin driven contract which holds things back but you know that it's a really good point you made Rob about you know the demise of MURs sad demise I think because the other the other side of this coin obviously is is 
medicines use. Um, and pharmacists would have a, a huge role to play here, you would have thought. Medication review now seems to be the, the preserve of GP practice pharmacists, doesn't it? So it's sort of shifted out of our sector altogether. I'm not sure that's particularly a good thing. Um, Arthur, what did, uh, what did you make of the report? Um, yeah, just, just as an aside, I thought it was interesting that there was such an emphasis on um, shifting away from purely medical prescribing to making social prescribing a much more important part of the mix, where a link worker uh, in the community will work with the patient and refer them to um, things in the community. Could could be something like a counsellor or it could be something like a like more hobby-based, like a, a gardening group, some, something like that. Um, I mean, there's part of me that's a little bit... Um, skeptical about the idea of social prescribing i, I think it, there's a, it has a connotation for me of sort of david cameron big society but i think i should sort of park that to one side because um obviously there's i mean it, it's there's sort of a common sense thing that you know having people feel more more part of their community will will be make a big impact on, on, on their well-being. And there does seem to be evidence uh, for, for for that, that the King, King's Fund has, has sort of warned that the evidence is not as conclusive as as, as the government might, might like it to be. I also thought it was interesting because um, I wrote an article about three or four years ago on um, whether there could be a role for community pharmacy in, in, in social prescribing, a commission's service. Um, it pe- appears for now that that ship has sailed. Um, it doesn't seem that, that pharmacy will be playing uh, a direct role in that but um def- definitely one to watch with interest yeah the, the social prescribing thing doesn't seem to have taken off does it I, I don't think Arthur but or maybe it has and like you say the ship the ship has sailed um the one thing I noticed uh in uh, Keith Ridge's uh, review is that we could have a prescribing czar we haven't had a czar for ages have we that's very um, very Tony Blair era um, but yes, I mean, just to sum up here, you know, pharmacy does have a role. Community pharmacy obviously has a massive role to play here. I guess there are a lot of things that need to be put in place that aren't necessarily in place at the moment that will enable community pharmacists to make these type of clinical interventions and tackle um, over-prescribing and indeed improving medicines use. But nevertheless, a significant report. Um, Neil, quick final word on this subject. Yeah, I just want to, uh, you know, pick up on something Arthur mentioned about social prescribing, and and uh, you're right, it hasn't, um, you know, as a, as a concept taken off, uh, you know, funding and all that stuff behind it, it hasn't. But the thing is, community pharmacists do this every day, don't they? I mean, they, you know, they, they they do a lot of social prescribing work. They don't get recognised for it, and um, you know, they they talk to their patients about different things. You know, they signpost them to you know social events and 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 try and, and try and get them sort of talking about their problems and there's, there's so much within social prescribing that pharmacists already do and they just don't get the recognition for it at all and that was the only point i wanted to make about the social prescribing thing uh and a very very good point neil indeed that's exactly what community pharmacists do every day um so yeah thanks for making that and rob then a a final final word on on this subject yeah, thanks, Richard. I think it's just worth just worth noting. I think that the the obvious um, main recipients of this this advice, I guess, are prescribers generally. And um, uh, it's interesting to see that I think in the first time we've had one of these reports, Neil said there's been several of them. This one has actually been broadly welcomed by the president of the Royal College of General Practitioners, 
and I think that um, again, as I said before, with the with this coming out of mainstream NHS England and the support from um, the leadership body of general practitioners, it is one that may well actually turn into a, a an effective program of work, um, and we may see some action on taken on the back of it, and hopefully, in amongst all of that you know, further progress on some of the things that, that will actually improve things in the community pharmacy sector, like, you know, more use of effective repeat dispensing and, you know, proper proper repeat prescribing, I think would be, would be advantageous all round. So now we're going to talk about this year's Act Now Wellbeing campaign from Pharmacist Support, which kicks off tomorrow, Saturday the 25th, which is World Pharmacist Day. And I'm delighted to welcome Marketing and Communications Manager Kate Westbrook onto the pod to tell us about it. Thanks for coming on, Kate. So what should pharmacy teams look out for in this year's Act Now campaign and how can they get involved? So this year's uh, Act Now campaign will kick off on World Pharmacist Day, as you said, on the 25th of September and run for five weeks. So until the 29th of October with each week focusing on one of the well-established five ways to well-being, which are be active, give, take notice, keep learning and connect. Um, and acting on the feedback of, of the campaign from last year, we've taken a more targeted approach this year. So we're running three separate campaigns at relevant times of the year for each group in our pharmacy family. So for students, trainees and pharmacists. And the final instalment, our Pharmacist Focus Act Now campaign, aspires to provide tools and inspiration to enable and support our pharmacy family to prioritise mental health and the well-being in the workplace uh, and also to shine a light on the mental health support available, including the charity's new counselling service. And what do you hope to achieve from this year's campaign? So following on from our wellbeing work with the PDA and the Royal Pharmaceutical Society and the subsequent launch of the Professions Inclusion and Wellbeing Pledge, uh, we want to support and enable a cultural shift in workforce wellbeing, really, um, and um, encourage people to, to prioritise wellbeing in the workplace, enable that to happen. So we know there at the charity that the pandemic has piled additional pressures onto an already overstretched and burnt out profession. So now more than ever, we feel we all need to work together to unpick the issues that have been exposed over the past year and ensure that support is in place and accessible to all to help navigate our way out. Um, so to do this, we feel it's essential that everyone across the profession comes together. And that's what we're trying to do through the campaign to really highlight the importance of the wellbeing agenda. And following on from our wellbeing work with the PDA and the RPS and the subsequent launch of the Professions Inclusion and Wellbeing Pledge, we want to support and enable a cultural shift in workforce wellbeing, really. Now, last year's campaign was, was really successful, wasn't it? And I had a, a lot of uptake from, um, from pharmacists and pharmacy teams. Um, where should pharmacy teams go to for more information about this year's campaign? So we've um, recently launched a new website um, and uh, people can find details about the uh, Pharmacist Support Act Now campaign on the website at pharmacistsupport.org um, and through there you'll access our wellbeing hub and all the resources that are available um, including um, some activities that will be happening across the campaign. Uh, and these will include live workouts and weekly panel chats that will take a look at the science behind well-being and why it works. So we encourage everyone to, to check out the website at pharmacistsupport.org um, where they can sign up to the campaign and be the first to receive um, weekly prompts, um, access to resources and then to access to the activities that we just talked about here. 
So tell us who your, your sponsors and partners are this year. Uh, this year, we're delighted um, that the PDA have signed up to support, continue to support the charity. Um, Tether UK and Day Lewis Pharmacy will all be supporting the campaign and allowing us to kind of um, share information, resources and activities around each of the five ways to wellbeing themes with, with members of our pharmacy family across the five weeks. Um, and we'll be tying in um, a lot of our keep learning work with the website. Uh, we're also launching um, a new wellbeing learning platform that will allow individuals to take control of their own wellbeing journeys. And then as part of our, the give element of the campaign uh, and in recognition of 25 years of our peer support scheme, Listening Friends, uh, the charity will also be seeking to recruit individuals keen to give their time as Listening Friends volunteers. So uh, we encourage everyone to check out uh, the website and to find out how they can get involved there. So that's great stuff, Kate. Um, all the information, as you say, on pharmacistsupport.org. And you're going to be out in the boat, aren't you, at the Clinical Pharmacy Congress, which is this weekend and at the the pharmacy show so um any last messages kate uh, for for pharmacy teams out there get involved i guess absolutely get involved support one another um allow time for well-being uh, consider the needs of your colleagues and to take action really that's what we're trying to achieve through the through the campaign fantastic good luck with it kate uh, we look forward to, to getting involved with you it's a it's a wonderful campaign it's a really important campaign and uh, thanks for coming on to the pod kate thanks richard so that was Kate Westbrook there. As we talked about, all the information about this year's campaign is on the Pharmacist Support website, pharmacistsupport.org. And we're delighted to be media partners for this very important initiative. And we'll be running short segments on well-being on the pod over the five weeks of the campaign. So you can get involved in that too. Let's go back to the panel then. Um, Arthur, good week, bad week and for whom? Uh, good week, which uh, I feel is unusual for me. I think I usually go for a gloomy bad week, but it's a good week for patients and uh, the pharmacy profession and pharmacy teams in Wales, as uh, the Welsh government has unveiled proposals to um, to to roll out full electronic prescribing within the next sort of three to five years. Um, there's plans to digitize the prescribing system across the health service, uh, meaning the GPs and other clinicians will no longer not will no longer need to print and sign hard copies of prescriptions before sending them on to pharmacies. And the hard copies are currently archived by, by the NHS Wales Shared Services Partnership, but this is going to be replaced by a completely electronic system with electronic system s- signatures under a system of e-prescribing. Uh, this follows a, an independent review into electronic prescribing in Wales. And as I said, it, it, the, the government uh, hopes to implement the, the system across primary and secondary care within three to five years. There's going to be a centralized medicines data repository that will store uh, electronic prescription records under the new system, um, giving more clinicians more access to information such as uh, what, medi- what medications have been prescribed to a patient, um, whether there's a risk of them of any medications being incompatible with another, any sort of uh, side effects or so on. Uh, so it's just sort of bringing uh, prescribing in Wales um, up to, to, to where it sh- should be really. I think it'd be great for, for, for the profession and for patients. Um, Health Minister Ellen Ed Morgan said it the system will allow other parts of the NHS and Wales to to access anonymized data to review when and where medicines are prescribed and how much has been provided Um, and that this will sort of as well as uh, protecting patients will allow sort of uh, better stock management and financial assurance for for, for health boards 
um, Cheryl Way of, of the RPS in Wales welcomed the plans and said, said the new system will not only improve uh, information availability and efficiencies for health professionals, but also drive up patient safety and uh, put patients in greater control of, of their medication regimen. Um, it's going to be a big undertaking. Um, so going to require complex technical solutions over a period of time, uh, Cheryl Way said, but um, uh, def- definitely worthwhile and uh, yeah, that's that's my good week. Very good week there for Wales. And that's another big announcement, isn't it? National Electronic Prescribe, Prescribing Programme. Um, big plans, three to five year plan, system-wide approach. Yes, big initiative. I, I guess Wales is playing catch up a bit here. So um, this was a major announcement, important announcement, and we'll be, we'll be following progress closely over the coming months and years. Thanks, Arthur. So I'll go now to finish. Um, so for me, it's a bad week for, for cancer patients uh, in the UK. So there was a new report from a health consult- consultancy, IPPR, which was published this week. That's laid bare the appalling state of, of cancer services after the pandemic. It could take until 2033, the report says, to clear the, the cancer treatment backlog in England and some 370,000 fewer people than expected were referred to a specialist for a suspected new cancer diagnosis. And that means, shockingly, that there are going to be thousands of people for whom it's now already too late to cure their cancer. Just think about that for a moment. And don't forget, pre-pandemic, the UK didn't have a brilliant track record with cancer outcomes anyway compared to similar countries mainly because of of late presentation and diagnosis so there's a there's a ton of work to be done here um but what caught my attention and the report makes several recommendations but prominent amongst these um is the need to scale up on prevention to to improve cancer outcomes and and to reduce demand on services now there's a clear in for community pharmacy here, isn't it? Because of the number of daily patient contacts and customer contacts that pharmacies have. So many opportunities to identify early signs of cancer and and refer onwards um, if they spot any danger signs. Now, there's been activity in in this area from pharmacy in the past. Um, I remember a a lung cancer awareness campaign run by a a friend of the pod, Graham Phillips and his Manor Pharmacy Group. A few years back now, that achieved really impressive results. And the society has run similar campaigns, as of contractors in London, Boots has its mole scanning service, you know, and others have done some great work as well in cancer prevention and spotting the danger signs. But it's all been a bit scattergun. And I think we need to do more in pharmacy to really own this space and to re-energise our approach and come out with a, with a coordinated strategy. It's something that all the sector can get behind but it does require our professional bodies to to look up and out for a change and create a case for a more formalised pharmacy involvement that really chimes with commissioners and the public. Let's create a narrative here because, as this report shows, you know, the need after COVID has never been greater. Clearly, always been the case that uh, people still fail to recognise their cancer symptoms. They'll still self-medicate when they should be seeking help. But neither is there enough public awareness of of pharmacists' professional skills, and indeed those of the whole pharmacy team, and that they can help here. So this needs a lot of work too, this kind of public awareness um, that pharmacy really struggles to get its message across. 
I think. So I'm going to go for bad week for cancer patients, obviously, and those with undiagnosed cancer symptoms. But there is a massive opportunity here, huge opportunity for pharmacy, and we should be doing something about it. Um, what do you think, Rob? Agree, I guess? I, I agree, Richard. And I, I think just to add to your list of things that uh, are things from the, the past that, that perhaps people might want to think about, um, I think we mentioned it on the, the, the pod a few months ago, the work that Jackie Lewis has done down in the southwest there, um, and which has now been taken up by the British Oncology Pharmacists Association. There's materials for pharmacists on their website free to access. Um, you have to join, but you can join for free and access these materials. And maybe we should just think about um, maybe republishing the information that we've we've put to get it towards the top of the page again, so that people can access that. Um, I think that that's sterling work and um, has a you know a great degree of provenance, given that Jackie has been interested in this whole subject area for for many years and made it her sort of professional specialism. So just a little shout out to her and her work, and we'll think about how we just reprofile that that material again, so that people have can access it easily. Oh yeah, thanks for that, Rob. Absolutely, shout out for Jackie. Jackie's done some tremendous work over the years in this field and yeah there's actually you know plenty to build on for pharmacy and and building on jackie's work i would definitely include that um because there is there is an evidence base out there actually i just feel we need a bit more i think we need a a, a fresh approach a re-energized approach um to deal with what's definitely going to be and is a, a national health crisis So now it's on to any other business. And uh, Rob, you've got something you've picked up from our, our friends across the Atlantic. Yes, thank you, Richard. Well, I wish I hadn't picked it up, to be honest, because it, it's the sort of thing that should make all health professionals' hearts sink, really. Um, I don't know whether you've seen, the, the former National Security Advisor of the United States of America, uh, Michael Flynn, I think he was in the military at one time, but I don't want to justify him or make him any grander by using some title that he might have had um has now uh, decided he's now weighed into the um to the covid vaccine uh debate by warning fellow americans or those daft enough to listen to him i guess that um, they need to beware because um the the government or the democrats or anyway the people that he's opposed to are um, or indeed I guess are uh, the manufacturers are putting the COVID vaccine into mayonnaise. Um, I mean, it, it, it's it, it's a difficult one for um, journalists, I guess, in a way, to even repeat this sort of stuff. Uh, it's just another kind of heart sink moment because you know somebody like that speaks. Social media then distributes the the message over and over and again over again you know the like as somebody once said um you know lies go around the world six times before the truth's got time to get its trousers on um and you know it's just another another thing that health professionals have to kind of counter um this sort of stuff and so i i didn't justify didn't want to justify it by saying it's a bad week for whatever Michael Flynn or COVID vaccinations, but 
just the the the, the levels to which um, it beggars belief that you can get to that sort of state now of of those sort of things being reported, repeated, and believed as 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 an issue. Fully understand people having concerns about being vaccinated, and I, um, you know, and I think there are people out there who, you know, read an awful lot of of the the right sort of material and then make up their own mind about whether to be vaccinated or not. But when they're if they're reading that sort of stuff, then it, you know, health professionals' jobs are hard enough without it getting harder with that kind of nonsense. Yeah. Totally agree. Complete and utter nonsense. You, that's an interesting point you raise, though, Rob. Should journalists actually be be reporting this at all? Um, hmm. One to one for us to muse on. Uh, Neil, have you picked up anything this week? Yeah, I, I, I saw that as well. Um, it's an excellent any other business, Rob. But uh, yeah, I think all people need to really know about Michael Flynn is that he's a high profile supporter of QAnon which, as we all know, is the uh, far-right conspiracy theory movement, which is alleged all kinds of rubbish all over the place. So I think when people realise that he's a high-profile supporter of that garbage movement, I think that's what we really need to know, isn't it? Blimey. If the discussion's moved on to QAnon, I think it's time for us to move on. <laughs> Thanks for that, Neil. Uh, listen, I, we, we need our spirits lifted, don't we, after that rubbish? So um, let's change the tone completely with something really positive. And Helena. Tell us about this week's brilliant Recognition of Excellence Awards for for our wonderful pharmacy support staff. Yes, thanks, Richard. It's been such a wonderful few days. ROE is definitely one to lift our spirits. Um, So on Tuesday, the 21st of September, we welcomed 24 of our 30 fabulous Recognition of Excellence Awards finalists to the stunning 8 Northumberland Avenue. Um, The atmosphere was amazing as it's been so long since events like this were able to happen. Um, So there was that added excitement as well as being able to shout about the incredible work that community pharmacy teams have been doing over the last year. And we were delighted to welcome um, mental health campaigner Johnny Benjamin MBE to the ROE stage to tell us about his mental health journey and how he's using his experiences to help improve the mental health of children across the UK. Um, His speech was so powerful and it was a privilege to hear his story firsthand, especially how he valued the support of his local community pharmacy during different stages of his recovery. Um, And as well as hearing about the importance of of kindness and hope as well. Um, Johnny's Charity Beyond was our awards charity partner and throughout the event we were able to raise awareness and funds for the vital work that they're doing to support mental health in schools. Um, so far, we've raised nearly five and a half thousand pounds um, and we're still receiving generous donations. So thank you to everyone who's donated so far. Um, and we'll put the link in the show notes if any listeners would like to read more and um, donate as well. So after Johnny had taken to the stage, we then turned to the awards and finding out who was going to take away the top prizes. And um, we had winners from Boots, Day Lewis, Wright Medicine Pharmacy and lots of independent pharmacies as well. Um, Our overall Spotlight Award went to one of the nine individual category winners who the judges thought deserved special recognition. And for 2021, this was Alison Curtis, an accuracy checking technician from Day-Lewis Pharmacy in Burnham-on-Sea in Somerset. Um, Her story is so inspiring and she's such a worthy recipient of this overall prize. 
Um, all of the winners' stories, as well as those of the highly commended finalists, will be told in the ROE Award Supplement that will be published with the October issue of Training Matters, um, and that will also be online as well. Um, it was just so fantastic to meet our finalists, and for the ones who were unable to join us, we'll be sending their prizes to them in the next few days, along with our congratulations. Um, and yeah, I think the feedback we've received from all of our guests has been brilliant from the finalists and, and members of the kind of pharmacy sector, industry experts. Um, and we're just so thrilled to have been able to celebrate with everyone in person. Thanks, Helen. Yeah, great stuff. And congratulations again to all our award winners. And like Helen has said, you can read all about their wonderful stories in the October edition of Training Matters. So that brings us to the end of this week's pod. Thanks also to Rob, Neil and Arthur. The pod is available on the Pharmacy Magazine website and from all your usual download sites. Just search for Talking Pharmacy. Don't forget to get involved in the Act Now campaign that kicks off tomorrow. And we'll be back again next week. But for now, thanks very much for listening.